All right, everybody, it's a huge show today. First up, we're going to break down the scam bankrupt frauds tale of two interviews. I'm sorry, Sam Bankman Freed. Sorry, Molly, I get that wrong sometimes. My, it's my, it just, you um, know, it just happens. You lose focus. It's my dyslexia. I blame it, it like just... Sam Bankman fraud. I blame it on something other than me. It's my dyslexia. Exactly. I never meant to screw up his name like that. Yeah. So yesterday, Andrew Ross Sorkin interviewed SBF at the New York Times Deal Book Summit. And then this morning, mm-hmm. Good Morning America aired 10 minutes of a two hour interview between George Stephanopoulos, the goat and SBF. One interview was, I, I don't know, to just be blunt about it. One was a joke and one was amazing. And we're going to go through each of them and show you which is which. I haven't seen so many softballs since, you know, somebody f- finished the joke for me, but my Lord, that was a lot of softballs. And then, man, uh, it was raining cotton balls. It was balls at deal book. And then Stephanopoulos, the Spartan comes in and just absolutely demolishes. Uh, this is a clinic in how to conduct an interview with somebody accused of one of the largest frauds in the history of humanity. Of course, then it wouldn't be Thursday without this week in streaming. Our guy, Lon Harris, joins us to talk about all things streaming, including de-aging. Yeah, this is so fun. We have a fascinating conversation about Disney's new in-house AI-based de-aging tool, what it means for the future of movies, franchises, and possibly humanity. <laughs> and then uh, we were, we talk a little bit uh, about Lon's great suggestions, things for you to watch this weekend, and some really good ones in there. And... I reveal two of the movies that I had cameos in. I'm talking about narrative independent films when I was in my independent film era at the turn of the millennium and people were putting me in movies. Amazing. And I Jake give you some on IMDb, memories. y'all. I'm on he the IMDb. An, you haven't, he has an IMDb page. That's it. Uh, and yep. uh, the 90s were great. I'll give you some 90s stories at the end of the show that you're going to love, including Sinead O'Connor, Jeff Buckley, and others. Uh, so, so stick with us. Good. What a fun show. Yes. This Week in Startups is brought to you by Vanta. Compliance and security shouldn't be a deal breaker for startups to win new business. Vanta makes it easy for companies to get a SOC 2 report fast. Twist listeners can get $1,000 off for a limited time at vanta.com slash twist. And Broker's Startup Insurance Program helps startups secure the most important types of insurance at a lower cost and with less hassle. Save up to 20% off of traditional insurance today at embroker.com slash twist. While you're there, get an extra 10% off using offer code twist. And Nutrisense combines cutting edge technology and human expertise so you can see how your body responds to different food, exercise, stress, and sleep in real time. By pairing a CGM with their app and expert dietitian guidance, Nutrisense can help you reach your health goals. Use code TWIST and get $30 off at Nutrisense.io slash TWIST. All right, Molly. I love today already. The last 24 hours have been quite interesting. Uh, a tale of two interviews, clearly. SBF, Sam Bankman Fraud, afraid, sorry. Um, he uh, is doing the most confounding media tour in the history of uh, frauds. I mean, mistakes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've seen uh, people make bad decisions when they're under investigation, but this has to be the most incredible flouting of common sense we've ever seen in the last 24 hours sam i actually saw i think nick posted this sham bankman fraud i mean it like goes on and on you can really you have like a lot of fun with this uh 
In the last 24 hours, he has done two interviews, one at the Deal Book Summit with Andrew Ross Sorkin, and then uh, this morning in person on Good Morning America with George Stephanopoulos. And obviously, everyone's going to talk about this. We want to talk about a couple of specific parts of it. First, trying to understand why in the blue blazes and how he slipped his lawyers and is doing these interviews at all, considering he's not involved with FTX anymore, officially. And then two or B, who's, who wore it best in the journalism department? I mean, the clips speak for themselves, right? Should we just watch some of these clips? They really do. Let's do it. We're going to go with some of these. So uh, here are, we're going to start with the deal book interview okay. where SBF joined virtually. We're just going to, for purposes of a little bit of context, I guess, set up the part where he's just shaking the whole entire time. There's not even sound here. We're just watching him. Do the Twitch, which I'm now yeah. starting to think might be his thing. Yeah, I mean, I think listen, he might you just hate, shake. Yeah, you, you hate to make this part of the story because if the person has a condition, right, we, we wouldn't want to mock them or anything. But when you're involved in a fraud and you're shaking like a leaf during an interview and mm -hmm. you've admitted to promoting speed amongst your employees, it, you kind of open the door to this, right? I mean, so yeah. I feel like we're in our right. I wouldn't just take a random person shaking. And be like, oh, this person's shaking. I mean, they could be nervous, right? Or they could right. have a tick. So putting that aside for everybody who's going to be like, please don't shame people for having a tick. This guy's accused of like a multi-billion dollar fraud. He's doing an insane press tour that no attorney would ever allow him to do. And in fact, people said in these interviews that I think Stephanopoulos um, said his attorneys told him not to do these interviews. Mm -hmm. uh, and he also has been promoting speed. Mm-hmm. Totally. So the shaking feels like and we've seen him shaking notable. in other interviews, too. So it may just yeah. be a part of the whole entire thing. Like maybe when he lies, he shakes a lot. I don't know. <laughs> but it is worth pointing out that this kid is shaking like a leaf. OK, so let's start uh, the interview in in our first one minute, 22 second clip here. Sam Bankman Fried starts by hitting on what appears to be his key defense here. This was all a huge mistake. Can't wait to hear it. There is a generous view. And the generous view is that you are a young man who made a series of terrible, terrible, very, very bad decisions. The less generous view is that you have committed a massive fraud, that this is a Ponzi scheme, a manipulation of the system. And I want to start there because I think that there are so many people who have that question, which is, what is this? And what did happen? Yeah, look, thanks for having me. And um, and at the end of the day, I, I was CEO of FTX. And that means whatever happened, whatever it happened, I had a duty. I had a duty to all of our stakeholders, to our customers, uh, our creditors. I had a duty to our employees, to our investors, and, and to the regulators in the world uh, to do right by them, to make sure the right things happened to the company. And uh, clearly, I didn't do a good job of that. Um, clearly, I um, I made a lot of mistakes or, or things I would give anything to be able to do over again. Um, I didn't ever uh, try to commit fraud on anyone. I, I was excited about the prospects of FTX a month ago. Um, I saw it as a thriving, growing business. I was shocked by what happened this month and, you know, reconstructing it. Where uh, are there things I wish I had done differently? So where to begin, Molly? I, Classic you know, apology off, tour stuff, yeah. <laughs> okay, it, there's really two ways you can go here. I'm going to go with the first, which is 
um, what is Sorkin doing here? Yeah. Uh, already the New York Times has been treating uh, this situation with kid gloves. This person, if the New York Times is in fact anti-tech, holding people accountable, that's been this whole theme for the last five years. There's been mm -hmm. those leaks, hey, we're going to hire people to hold tech accountable. I, I understand that if you want to hold tech accountable or big tech yeah, accountable, sure. there, mm -hmm. there's that seems reasonable, right? How yes. is this holding big tech accountable when you start with the question, uh, the generous way to mm -hmm. explain all this, you basically are like, so you didn't pull the trigger on purpose, your finger slipped, right? Wink, wink. Like, this is leading the witness. <laughs> Sorkin, the suit, mm -hmm. great suit, by the way, Andrew, but Sorkin, the suit here is starting off with a softball. He literally gave Sam bank run fraud. I'm, I'm sorry. Sham, Scam. sham bank run fraud. Sham, sham bank. Don't forget the sham part. <laughs> Hold on. Sham <laughs> bank run fraud. Sam Bankman Freed. He gave him an out. That's not how interviews work. No, I mean you're not like, and are he, you a fraud or not? He answered the. This is interview one hundred and one. Sorkin. Yeah. You know, I, I, this is the problem. The New York Times is putting Sorkin out there to do like the most important investigative, hard hitting interview you know, of the year. And he's doing like this kid gloves interview. It's terrible uh, approach, yeah, I think. That was what, a do, large... what do you think? Am I being too? Well, I think in this case, Critical? if you're starting the interview, it's your, and your hello is, okay, so, you know, you're clearly trying to, the way I would have phrased this is, mm -hmm. it's clear that your defense here Right. From based on all of your tweets, everything you have said since this has come out, like you want us all to believe that. And this is a version of what he said when he was like, the generous view is this and the, the not generous view is, is a giant fraud. Mm. I would have started it with like, it seems clear that your position is that you just got in over your head here and you don't know. You didn't know what you're doing and you didn't mean to do anything wrong. You've said that there's no reason to let him restate that. Right. Like your first question is. Why should we believe that? Yeah. Or, you know, uh, how about why didn't you have a board of directors? Yeah. Who was the CFO? Where is the money? What controls did you have in place? In other words, get into the details of the alleged fraud. Right. Uh, but, you know, uh, this, uh, and listen, I, I don't want to make this. classic, uh, like, this is when it's a presentation and an interview is the thing, right? When you're yes. on stage, you got to, like, you're leading some. You're you're saying hello. This is the hello question. This is like the yeah. like. I'd like you to give the give you the opportunity to introduce yourself. So I'm going to let him off the hook a little bit on the hello question. Okay, sure. On stage, it's just after that where it all falls falls apart. <laughs> and and here's the thing I'll say. You know this this has to do with access journalism. Totally. So remember, Andrew Rosorkin uh, hosts a CNBC show every morning. If you want to get CEOs on that show to come on on a regular basis, if you're conf too confrontational you lose access. If yeah. Kara Swisher is doing the code conference and she's too controversial, if she's too um, cutting, you're going to lose the interview next year. The person's not yeah. going to show up. And, you know, I don't know what Andrew Ross Sorkin is getting paid to host this. I'm going to guess he gets paid a half million or a million dollars to host something like Dealbook, Kara Swisher, Walt Mossberg, anybody who hosts these conferences, half million, a million, two million dollars. I don't know if that's the case with the New York Times. I would assume there's something, some very big, paycheck for him. And so you get into this very awkward space where if you're too harsh on people, they don't show up for your conference. If you don't get the big names, you exactly. don't get 
the big ticket sales and the tickets to these, I don't know what it costs to go to Deal Summit or Deal Book Summit. Deal Book Summit. I'm going to guess five or 10 grand is the ticket price, like any other mm-hmm. big tech conference. So anyway, there's a little bit of that undercurrent here, which yeah. is, you know, Andrew this is a Russell show. Can, it's a little bit of a show um, yeah. and kid gloves. Listen, founders, very important. If you're in SaaS or you're in services and you store customer data in the cloud, you need to be SOC 2 compliant yesterday. And you don't, you might be hearing this and you may not even know what SOC 2 is, or maybe you heard about it. You know you're behind the eight ball. Let's get this solved today. This week, I want you to be compliant from a third party so that you can close big deals. Do it now. Do not look like a, a dope when you try to close a deal and they're like, do you have SOC 2? And you're like, uh, that long pause, that's going to be the sound of them going to your competitor. Use Vanta, which makes it incredibly easy to get and renew your SOC 2. On average, Vanta customers are SOC 2 compliant in just two to four weeks and compare that to three to five months without Vanta. And they partner with over two dozen audit firms who have been trained to file SOC 2 reports directly within Vanta. I was able to invest in Vanta. It's a great company. A bunch of my portfolio founders have used Vanta. They've had amazing experiences. They give it their highest rating. And and let's just be clear here. If you're not SOC 2 compliant, you can't close major customers. It's that simple. It's one of the first things they're going to ask for. Here's the best part of this ad read. Vanta loves this week in startups. They want to support founders and they want to support founders early. And they don't want you to break the bank. So they're going to give you $1,000 off. Think about that. Get $1,000 off at vanta.com slash twist. V-A-N-T-A dot com slash T-W-I-S-T. $1,000 off vanta.com slash twist get your sock to now let's do the next the next clip i think yeah. gets interesting for our purposes because okay. sorkin eventually asked um how much of this implosion might have been an oversight due to vcs and remember last week the wall street journal reported that sequoia actually apologized to lps on a call for not doing enough diligence on ftx and losing you know effectively its entire 150 million dollar investment so sorkin in this 97 second clip asks about that we had Larry Fink here today, and he had a stake yep. in FTX. And Sequoia and Paradigm and some very big venture capital firms had, had, had given you money. And I'm curious if they ever asked you questions about this risk management and whether they bear any responsibility for what clearly now appears, and you're saying, was at minimum a lack of oversight, if not something much worse. Um, I don't think they bear responsibility. I mean, like, when you look at you put, your size, you, you put yourself in the eyes of an investor, of a, a venture capital firm. Um, what you're thinking about primarily is upside, right? What you're thinking about primarily is investing in a private company and thinking, might this 3x, might this 5x, might this even 10x on the upside cases? And yeah, there's some chance that it will go down. There's some chance that maybe it will go down to zero. Um, but that's counterbalanced by the upside propositions here. And, and so most of what they were focused on was, you know, uh, I, I think like what might FTX become? What's the pathway to get from here to there? You know, what would it take? What are the missing pieces? Um, you know, rather than, you know, at the point where you're dwelling on all of the various precise downside scenarios and risks for a prospective venture investment, that means you're not investing. Like if that's where your head's at, you, you know, if you think the odds are that that's where things are going to end up, why, why would you do that investment? 
I'm yeah, seeing us making one. the exact same faces here. I know you go. <laughs> I mean, okay. He's describing the power law. Congratulations. But Sorkin again, giving SBF an out. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Sorkin, the suit saying, hey, isn't this not your responsibility? It's the VC's responsibility. I mean, what is going on here? He's giving him like every off ramp instead of like keeping the witness here. He should well, have he said, never say, yeah, yeah. what? was the what diligence did sequoia do did you have yes. a data room what was in the data room did they ask for a board seat why was there no board why was there no controller what did you provide a diligence room what was in did the diligence room did you lie to them did, did you, you lie, lie to, to them? them oh very good molly yeah because did what you misrepresent I see in the very beginning of that clip because i've now decided that the shake is his tell yeah in the very beginning of that clip he's shaking like a leaf again and i think it's because what he is not saying is that he lied to them like the way to frame that question is either, okay, it seems to me, me, Aaron Ross Sorkin in the other part of the multiverse where he's like, I'm doing a news interview and not a show. Yeah. <laughs> where he's like, it seems to me that either your VCs didn't do due diligence or you lied to them. Yeah. Can you tell me what those communications were like? Yeah. Yeah. So this is really weird. Um, terrible interview so far. Um, I watched not, the whole thing. Great. It wasn't a very good interview, I have to say. And you know what? Shame on Sorkin, because he knew going into this, that people were assuming he was going to do a kid glove interview, because there was a feature story written about SBF, uh, like a week before where they're like, Oh, my God, you know, like, and it wasn't just New York Times, Wall Street Journal, also a little bit of kid gloves, but mm -hmm. people were like, going through the New York Times puff piece of him. And there was no mention of fraud. There was no mention of theft. Somebody just right. took all the keywords and they did a tweet storm. Like how many of these words were in the story? And the away CEO got tarred and feathered. Mm -hmm. I keep bringing up this story about the away CEO because it was so unfair. They mm -hmm. literally tarred and feathered her and got her fired uh, because she demanded excellence during the holiday season to sell some goddamn luggage mm -hmm. and just make sure the people buying the luggage got their luggage on time for christmas and then this kid steals billions of dollars uh co-mingles users money with trading accounts is doing self-dealing is pushing speed on his employees all this stuff is either admitted by him or his co-founders i'm not speaking out of yep. school here this is stuff that nope. they've said already yeah that they were doing Come on. Honestly, Come on. I am starting to have a lot of rage. Mm. I can't believe I'm going to say this. Yeah. About Elizabeth Holmes. Like the, yeah. dis the distinct, the difference between the way that she mm. was treated then was then pilloried. And frankly, like her 11 and a half year sentence, like the fact that her own investors came after her and yeah. SBF is going to do this bizarre tour and like say nice things about them. Like they were just trying to get upside, you know, instead of mm. maybe calling them out for not doing diligence or whatever means they're not yeah. going to come for him and he is not going to get in trouble. And she got 11 and a half years in, pre in prison and is pregnant and fast mm. company basically, you know, likened Adina Heffitz to uh, like a red line, a person who red lines against Chicago landlords. Yeah. Like I'm there just starting to feel like double huh, standard. There is a large double standard here. Cause you can, that will build up the blonde lady like crazy. But God forbid the blonde lady do anything wrong, and then she's going to jail. Molly and this guy, he's not going to jail, and I'm horrified. Hysterical right now. Yeah, I have <laughs> way too many feelings right now. Little lady, <laughs> oh, little lady, <laughs> are you getting hysterical I'm now? In my I feelings. Mean, 
<laughs> it's literally they have a double standard. <laughs> they have a double standard for, for male CEOs and female you CEOs. Think it's we clear. Freaking might. I will say okay. yeah. he's going to get 20 years. I'm predicting it right now. I'm going to put the over under on his sentence at 16.5 years. Uh, okay. I think he's going to, and I think the over is the good bet. I think he is going to go to jail for sure. I mean, um, this is, he then, did some really bad stuff, but then the, the, the train, the parade of softballs goes on ugh. more hurling of cotton balls at the fraudster here. Um, Sorkin then asks about drug and stimulant usage, which again, Sam Bankman fried tweeted about. Yes. Literally he tweeted. He opened the window. He opened the window. There has been a lot of reporting of ongoing stimulant use. He himself talked about microdosing and then taking something to relax and then some more money, whatever, whatever. So Sorkin asks him about this. Here's a two minute clip of his deflection mm. on that. Can I ask you about the drugs? Um, you you yeah. have tweeted about it. Caroline has tweeted about it. Others have tweeted about uppers and downers um, and all sorts of things. Um, there have been pictures taken of something called uh, MSAM, uh, which yep. apparently uh, increases levels of dopamine to the brain. It's actually for Parkinson's. Were you taking that as a patch? So I, it, it's, it's funny hearing this. I, I had my first sip of alcohol after my 21st birthday. And I think I, I have maybe half a glass of uh, of alcohol a year, roughly speaking. Uh, there were no wild parties here. When we had parties, we'd play board games. And, you know, 20% of people would have three quarters of a beer each or something like that. Um, and, you know, the rest of us would, would not drink anything. I see, you know, any legal drug use uh, around me, you know, at the office at, at these parties. Like, and, 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 and when I say parties, I mean, like, you know, having people over for dinner is what that meant. Um, uh, and look, I can't talk about anyone else, like, you know, what they're prescribed between themselves and their, their, their doctors or psychiatrists. Um, I can say for me, um, I don't know, like, I, uh, I've been prescribed various things at various times to help with focus and concentration. Um, I, and I think they have done that. I haven't felt any of, um, you know, the sort of impact that I think people have been theorizing here from it. And it's not a huge impact, you know, in the first place. Anyway, I think, you know, these have all just been totally on uh, on label use of uh, of medications. And, um, you know, I think things that on the margin help me focus a little bit. Um, I wish I had been a lot more focused over last year. I may have been unfocused in this last moment because I actually wanted to follow up on the question when we're talking about venture capitalists. Oh, my God. Um, here's how you do the follow up there, Molly. Very simple. Did you encourage your employees to get prescriptions for amphetamines or speed? Right. Yes or and no. Did you take them? Yes or no? I mean, it's really that simple. They encouraged employees to look into these. Um, and then did you ever give your employees your, uh, speed or, or your downers to sleep at night? Did you ever, uh, give your employees drugs? Period. Full stop. Because right. what's going to happen is. One of these employees is going to say, yeah, you know, I was feeling sluggish one day and Sam gave me a patch. That's what's going to happen here because that's what happens all the time. Listen, if you're on a college campus and somebody's got an Adderall prescription, from what I understand, this is, you know, in the 90s, we didn't have this. But from what I understand, if somebody's got an Adderall prescription, they're hosting the party during finals <laughs> and they're just handing their friends, yeah. you know, Adderall and people are just like, yeah, it's just an Adderall. It's no big deal. Now, okay, maybe in college, you know, 
you know, people feel uh, loosey goosey about that. But at a company, mm -hmm. if at you're work. the CEO and you're passing uppers around, that's that's crazy. And if somebody in the company, you know, has ADHD or needs to talk to a psychiatrist, that is done in the most delicate of private settings, yeah. not at an all hands meeting where you're like, here's the different stimulus you can do in a in a PowerPoint deck or whatever they did. And it's so such this is, an unbelievable dodge. Yeah. He is literally, okay, two points. One, he is literally asked directly about a stimulant patch and yeah. he starts talking about alcohol. So yep. Misdirection. One, mm -hmm. that's where Sorkin needs to stop him and say, yeah. I did not ask you about alcohol. I asked you about this particular stimulant patch. And then yeah. producer Brian, new guy, makes an outstanding point in our chat <laughs> right now, which is, Wait a second, didn't they have a $50,000 outstanding tab at Margaritaville? <laughs> yeah, but it, they only drank so, three quarters of the daiquiri each, and then they went home, and they played uh, uh, Settlers of Catan. Catan? <laughs> uh, what, are these, what do you nerds play? It was for the Ritz of Sliders. They, they had so many, uh, that was the Mudsticks. It was the, the Mudsticks get you every time. We just ordered 3,000 beers and drank half of them. Like, oh my God. Everything I mean, about this really this is, is the worst interview ever. It I actually mean, really is. Uh, Brandon Brooks and our Nodi Gang described it as a dog and pony show, and that's honestly the best phrase for it. Man, like he what starts a lost talking about booze, and you don't, you don't jump in, and then he makes a weird joke about being unfo. And also, by the way, in that meandering answer was a yes, right? He eventually did say yes. Yeah. I take stimulants. The, the, I guess Sorkin doesn't do follow-up questions, or maybe somebody writes the questions for Sorkin. I mean, he's—I mean, think he writes great dialogue, right? He created the TV show Billions, one of my favorites. Like he's the co-creator. I mean, I don't want to dunk on Sorkin here, but who's writing Sorkin's hard not questions? To, right? I mean, like, well, it's also, hard not to. Worst it's just, interview ever. Clearly, someone is writing his questions, and then he's not listening and following up. That's what this all comes like. Literally, mm. as soon as the kid says alcohol, you stop him. You stop him. You go. Well, yeah. actually, I didn't ask you about alcohol. I'm asking if you use stimulants at work. I'm not asking you about parties. Yeah. 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 Just really, oh, really so done. frustrating. But, you know, uh, okay. And SBF has no attorneys advising him, or he's still, or maybe he put two speed patches on this morning. I don't know well, what's Sorkin, going on here. Sorkin did ask him in this interview. He's like, where are your lawyers? He's like, D what did they say? And he goes, oh, no, they don't want me to do this. So this is manic behavior. I will say this is manic behavior, or mm. this is some next level. Um, the, the only thing I can think of, Molly, Illusion. is perhaps this is a next level legal strategy of he's in a manic state. He is doesn't know what's going on. And his attorney said, hey, go out there and play dumb and say you didn't know. Because when an actual journalist, sorry, I'm Sorkin is... A commentator is, is Sorkin a journalist or a commentator? Didn't he used to be a journalist? Anyway, I think so. This is I a think this so. is not this a is good so outing. Poorly, it's such a bad. This outing. is not a good outing. He should have just. He, here's how to think about this, Molly. If I was doing this interview, I'd say this is the the first and last time I'm interviewing this person in all right. likelihood. So what? I'm. It's not like I'm trying to get him to come back to deal book next year to sell more twenty four ninety nine tickets here. By the way, yeah. it's pretty pretty steal twenty four ninety nine. It's a cheap event. But I think it's maybe a one day event. Anyway, I'll go next year. This terrible interview. And you should have just gone ham. Because yeah. the next interview this kid's given is going to be from the penitentiary in all likelihood. Listen, I have been dealing with business insurance for three decades. And switching providers, always a nightmare. It's too expensive. It takes so much time. Often, 
You don't even get better coverage, but now you can make switching radically simple with Embroker. Embroker is the radically simple destination for industry-tailored commercial insurance. Embroker's single application helps startups get four quotes for four lines of coverage in 15 minutes. They connect you with one of their expert brokers for unmatched service. It's unrivaled in the industry, uh, and it goes way beyond your policy. And listen, Embroker is such an amazing product that we use it here. I kid you not. We use it at launch. Why? It's just so easy. It's modern. It's affordable. And we don't want to be caught without insurance for critical functions in our company. We want to protect our team. We want to protect our assets. And we just like to conduct business correct. And you can start doing business properly with the proper insurance. So you can protect your team, your assets, your family, all that stuff by just using the promo code twist to get 10% off in broker.com slash twist. That's E M B R O K E R.com slash twist. Chef's kiss. I give them my highest rating. We love Imbroker. Imbroker.com slash twist. I want to do one quick um, clip that I think might have made a little news. And then let's do, since this is a tale of two interviews, we will show some ways yes. in which it could have done better and in which SBF really may have gotten himself in some trouble. Um, but a couple, like a couple of meaty nuggets did come out of this eventually. One, okay. um, I think was very interesting. This 24 second clip still from Sorkin, uh, where SBF made a distinction between FTX US uh-huh. and the offshore business, the Bahamas one, and actually said that as far as he knew, FTX US was solvent. Just to, to make a distinction here, you look at the US platform, you look at the international platform. The US platform uh, is a US regulated platform with American users. To my knowledge, that's fully solvent. That's fully funded. And, uh, you know, I believe that withdrawals could be opened up today and everyone could be made whole from that, that none of these problems plagued the, the U.S. platform. Hmm. Maybe. And, then and he, he said that today, right? He did a tweet today. He where... followed up with a tweet. Yeah, we have the yeah. tweet here. He said, expanding on DealBook, when I filed for bankruptcy, that is, I'm fairly sure FTX U.S. was solvent and that all U.S. customers could be made whole. To my knowledge, it still is today. I was expecting that to happen. I assume mm. that he means customers to be made whole. Yeah. I'm surprised it hasn't, he said. I'm not sure why U.S. withdrawals were turned off. Yeah. Um, okay. So it's somebody else's fault. You know that Enron, here? Yeah. that Enron yeah. guy right now is just like, I will kill him. I will find <laughs> this kid and I will kill him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if there's like a bunch of fraud and a collapse going on here, you do want to freeze everything to figure out where the money was moving from. Like yeah. if he's saying this is solvent, what about the other two or three or 12 entities? So, you know, there's going to be exactly. so much forensic going on here. But all right. And finally, I guess people gave a round of applause to this. is amazing. This. I maybe. SBF's parents were in the audience or <laughs> somehow media people made the trip to New York to Lincoln Center. Sam, yeah. I know that this has been a, a difficult conversation. Um, has it? A tough conversation. I'm sorry. And, has uh, it? On behalf of everybody has here and tough. on behalf of the public, I want to thank you for engaging in it at a time in truth when I know you've been advised not to. So thank you so very, very much. Oh, thank you so very, um, very much. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, absolutely. Sam Bankman Freed, everybody. Absolutely. Look at this. That guy's not clapping. I, know, I love that. I like that one guy. guy. Hold on. I, I want like that, that screen guy. reaction shot paused. Mm-hmm. Th- this is important. You don't clap for Will Smith after he just smacks somebody. You don't clap for Sam Bankman Freed. This guy on the left. He gets it. Mr. Humph guy mm-hmm. who's smirking. That's the goat. That's the guy who got it right. <laughs> you yep. don't clap for a criminal. There's another one in the middle too. There's sort of like, there's this woman clapping 
And then this older woman barely clapping. And then yet another guy right in the middle in, a, no, in the, the exact same guy. suit, just sitting there being like the hell. Black suit, this? blue shirt guys. Uh-huh. Yep. Those, are, those guys are LPs. <laughs> those guys <laughs> lost money. LPs. <laughs> They're like, how did you let this happen? All and right, let's get this George Stephanopoulos clip. Not having it. Yes. Okay. So Sork in the suit drops the balls and Stephanopoulos, the Spartan, a true warrior journalist who does not give AF. AF. As the kids would say, <laughs> goes full on Columbo for 66 <laughs> seconds. Let's talk. One of the reasons FTX went bankrupt is because FTX deposits yep. were used to pay Alameda's creditors. Carolyn Ellison said you knew about that. Is that true? You know, best I can tell, uh, Alameda did have a big position open on, on FTX. Um, that position, uh, I think, was you know, very over collateralized uh, a year ago, there is a, a total market collapse and, sp- you know, specifically large correlated collapse in its assets, you know, over the last month and to some extent over the last year that I, uh, you know, threatened that position quite a bit. And I think that's, you know, as best I understand, a lot of what happened there. I, I am no cryptocurrency expert. I'm no finance expert, yep. but I don't think you answered my question. I was yeah. asking, did you know yeah. that FTX deposits were used to pay off Alameda creditors? Uh, Hold up, pause this and rewind. Pause and rewind. We have to amazing. pause and rewind. Did he just whisper to himself the question back? This is a real interview. Juxtaposition, uh, Stephanopoulos the Spartan versus the suit. And he, this follow-up question is so brutal. Mm-hmm. The, the reaction from Sam Bankrun, Sam Bankrun fraud is his head goes lower and he whispers and he repeats the question to himself. Did you catch that, Molly? Yeah, oh yeah. I love that. He does it a couple times. It's amazing. Let's watch it again. As best I understand, a lot Listen, of what happened there. I, I am no cryptocurrency expert. I'm no finance expert, yep. but I don't think you answered my question. Listen I right now. Asking, yep. Did you know that FTX deposits were used to pay off Alameda creditors? Uh, he, he just repeated it back to I himself because he, he knows he's stuck. Yeah. This is checkmate. Yeah. This is checkmate. Stephanopoulos in two. Checkmate in two. And he gets it. When we get to the last clip in this sequence, he gets, I think, a really, really newsworthy moment. But yes, I mean, okay. So what I find so fascinating about this is that all through the deal book interview, all through every interview that he's done, always on in his tweets, and and Mm -hmm. he, he attempts it with Stephanopoulos, he does this like what I call the chaff strategy. It's like he's like shooting flares out the back of the fighter jet trying to deflect the missile with this Mm -hmm. really complicated financial talk. Yeah. Right. He's like, I will just confuse them with bleep, bloop, bloop, hedge position and dupidly dupe over collateralized into la la la, the hole in the here. Margin position. Margin position. position for the here, for there. And if you're Sorkin at Deal Book, a financial conference, you can't be the person who sits there and is like, I don't understand that. But if yeah. you're Stephanopoulos, you can be like, oh, I see. I'm on Good Morning America, bro. I don't yeah. like one. I don't understand what the hell you're talking about with the over collateralized bleep it a bloop. But also it doesn't matter. That's mm. not the point. It's it not, not the question. The and like so many people have gotten snowed by this, by the chaff, like the missiles have been deflected by the flares. I, mm. I recently watched Maverick again, like three times in a row. Oh, so good. But nobody, but, you know, George was like, actually, 
Mm-hmm. I don't care what the collateral was. Did you know or did you not know? Oh, yeah. it's beautiful. Got him. You got him. It's like Columbo. Oh, you, you said you ordered the chicken palm, ma'am, on Sunday? Because I talked to the restaurant and the, the <laughs> restaurant said chicken palms only on Monday night. And, and uh, the, Carolyn uh, said... Carolyn said, said uh, but I mean, my wife says I'm a nudge. Oh, Mr. Colombo, I did not murder my wife, and I did order the chicken palm, but I, I must have ordered that another time when I was at the restaurant. He just I'm gets no, it. He nails them. I'm no crypto um, expert. Now, okay, this is so great. Stephanopoulos is running a clinic, mm-hmm. and the pause. You know, when people are lying, when people are trying to be squirrely. Um, they try to, you know, they, they do the flare technique, but when you kind of corner them, you know, uh, you, you do get these weird moments like repeating stuff back to him themselves. Um, yep. And this Amazing. is why asking the same question two or three times as an interviewer is sometimes the best technique. Or I'm sorry, I didn't understand the answer. Let me try one more time, which I did, by the way. I don't, I'm not, this isn't about me. Um, but when I had uh, a certain guest, Okay, I'll just point out two. Trevor Milton mm-hmm. from Nicola on the pod. I asked him some very doggy questions two or three times. Mm-hmm. And also, when I had a certain individual who had been fired from his previous company, I asked him three times at the All In Summit. I won't say his name because uh, oh I don't want to get the stands in here. But I did ask him three times. Why were you fired from Facebook? It's me reaching hey, for my uh, flag. One more time. Why were you fired from Facebook? And a third time. I'm going to, and I literally said, I'm going to ask you yeah. a third time and then I'm going to drop it. Yeah. But can you tell us why you were fired from Facebook? Yep. So I literally said, this is my third time asking, which is what Stephanopoulos did. Very mm-hmm. astute follow-up question, which is, I'm sorry I didn't understand that. I'm no expert, but can you try one more time giving me that answer? That's him cueing the audience who may be paying partial attention to the fact that this is a follow-up question. It's explicitly, it's a follow-up question. And, you know, oh, gee, Willikers, I'm no expert. Oh, so masterfully done. I'm not he sacrificed the pawn to boom, put him in, you know, check. It's great. Hey, when COVID hit, y'all know I was struggling with my weight. One of the things I tried was a continuous glucose monitor, CGM. You've probably heard of these. And I used a product called NutriSense, which I actually invested in the company. I was so thrilled with it. And it really helped me understand what makes my glucose spike. And that that helped me get my weight under control. The perfect example was I I thought ice cream was really bad for me in terms of spiking my uh, glucose levels. And so I was like, oh, maybe I'll just have a bowl of cereal at the end of that. Turned out cereal (laughs) spiked my glucose two or three times with just a small little couple of spoonfuls of Haagen-Dazs did, right? So, huh, I learned something there. And this is what NutriSense lets you do. You analyze in real time your glucose levels. So you see how you respond to food and exercise. You really have to understand your body. Quantified self is what it's all about. And NutriSense is the way to do that. And the application is gorgeous and beautiful. If you use the NutriSense app, you're going to be able to visualize this data. You log your meals and you can run experiments. Hey, what if I run and then I eat? What if I eat my salad first? What if I eat my protein first? And you'll get expert guidance from a dietitian based on your goals. Understanding this data is going to make it much easier for you to identify what you're doing well. And let's face it, where there's room for improvement. Like me, don't eat three bowls of cereal at night. Let NutriSense help you reach your full health potential. Visit NutriSense.io slash twist and use the promo code twist to save $30 and get one month of free dietitian support. N-U-T-R-I-S-E-N-S-E. Dot io slash twist and it's funny because what we have here is literally the three attempts so that was attempt mm-hmm. one let's watch attempt two which comes with a pretty epic pause it's a two-minute clip 
If yep. Alameda is borrowing the money that belongs yep. to FTX depositors, that's a bright red line, isn't it? There are a lot of cases where that's actually explicitly part of the programs and that are but happening. But not, not here. Here it says that the digital assets may not be loaned to FTX trading. They can't be loaned out. I. Uh, there existed a bar lending facility on FTX, and and I think that's probably covered. I, I don't remember exactly where, but somewhere else in the terms of service. But they'd have to approve of that. They're saying they didn't approve of it here. They're so saying you approved of it. If you rewind to you know the beginning of FTX, um, where you know some customers were, you know. Uh, I think in line with sort of existing relationships that, that they've had, at least in some cases, wiring money straight to Alameda Research in order to trade on FTX. So you do know and you did know that FTX deposits were being funneled to Alameda? So I was vaguely aware that that was how some wires were being sent in the first place. Um, Didn't that set off alarm bells in your head? So there are a lot of people who are involved in that process. And look, I really deeply wish that I had taken like a lot more responsibility for understanding what the details were of what was going on there. I knew that legal was involved. I knew that other groups at the company were involved, that you know, there were agreements drafted up. But you're ultimately responsible. And ultimately, absolutely. Like I, Look, I should have been on top of this, and I feel really, really bad and regretful that I wasn't. And a lot of people got hurt, and that that's on me. I mean, holy cow. Wow. In the first clip, he did have two swings at back. So yeah. he gave him the question, then the follow-up, and here he is again. Mm-hmm. You know, just... It's like, well, actually, I mean, I the screws. your agreement right here with the lenders, yeah. the depositors. Yeah, you said that. Yeah. Isn't that a red says, line? Says really Isn't right that here, your you job? can't do that. Isn't that the buck your stops at you. Job. I and mean, then the just... last clip. Okay, here we I go. I think uh, this. I go. think is actually the key to. The, I think news was made, and it has yet to come out in this uh, last clip, which is thirty-six seconds when George tries the third time. I just want to point out, Stephanopoulos said this is from a two-hour interview he did. Damn. I think maybe ten minutes of it made it to Good Morning America because it's a. You know, this is not their standard fare. You know, they're not, they're not making a, you know, like a Caesar salad for the holidays here. Uh, yeah. You know, <laughs> or or doing like the cast of you know White Lotus <laughs> hope, season two. I like, hope he had a toss to that though, and then he was like, "Here's some great eggnog yeah. cocktails for your party." <laughs> no, I I think this was between like the White Lotus cast <laughs> season two and your eggnog recipes. So this this is not standard fare here. No. For Good Morning America. Yeah, this is what should have been happening at Deal Book, and at Deal Book, they're making eggnog, and Stephanopoulos <laughs> is breaking down the financial. I had a little. I don't I know had what's a going on. Too in the much world. eggnog. I forgot my follow up question. Yeah, I would follow up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. Thirty six seconds. Let's wrap this. This is really a yes or no question. Yep. Carolyn Ellison says you knew that FTX funds were being funneled to Alameda. Did you know that? I knew that there is an open margin position there and that that involved I know, but that's not what I'm borrow. asking. <laughs> if she's in court and you're in court and she's under oath and you're under yep. oath and you're asked, did you know that these funds were being funneled to Alameda? What is your answer? I did not know that there is any improper uh, 
use of customer funds. Nice, nicely done. Nicely okay, done. I didn't that's know. That's where I he goes know. to jail. Like yeah, exactly. right there. That's where George got, if he said that, and then and now Carolyn is in her apartment, it was, sorry, her what? apartment in the Bahamas. And she's like, actually, I have the receipts. Like, actually, you know what, though? The moment that his lawyers were afraid of right there. Breaking news. Uh, yeah. Carolyn Ellison uh, <laughs> has decided to sit down with Andrew uh, Rorse Sorkin. And uh, <laughs> Andrew is going to totally savage her in an 8,000 word piece. They he have her leaked is. Slack messages. Uh, she's going to be absolutely demolished by the New York Times. SBF she's gets the, the pass. SBF gets the pass. She already has. Seriously, they wrote the article lady. about her being the alt-right darling. Oh, they did. That's yeah. right. God bless America. Oh, that oh she's MAGA. Okay. Just, she's MAGA. So they had to All go right, for there's her. There's the target. Yeah. I mean, what, what a tale I think of two interviews. I really cannot believe that he got him to give a... Like, that stunning. is the lawyer's Ooh, worst fear. Ooh, stunning. To get stunning. him to give a direct answer. I was not aware. You know, like, that just handed the prosecution the case. Bravo, Ooh. George. Bravo. Bravo, George. I mean, Bravo, the, George. leave it to the Greeks. If you want a moderator, <laughs> if you want an interviewer, I don't know who needs to hear this. But Andrew Worsorkin, absolutely fantastic in the writer's room of Billions. Give him an Emmy. But the Greeks coming on strong with no fear. No I fear. have no idea what Sorkin the suit's fear is here. What is he scared of? What is Sorkin? Who is he afraid of offending? It feels like Sorkin is afraid of offending somebody. Is there a finance person who's friends with him? Or is there some backstory here that I am not aware of where Sorkin, they, they whispered to Sorkin, hey, just take it easy on the kid. I think I really believe this as a former journalist that the okay. only way to be good at your job mm -hmm. is to put your ego in a box and yep. be willing to look stupid. Like to be willing to say, yep. I do not understand that question. Can you say it to me again? Can you yeah. repeat that again? That didn't make sense to me. And I just have to believe that Sorkin sat there in this mm -hmm. big deal book conference surrounded by guys in blue shirts and black suits who really understand yep. finance and could not bring himself to be like, I don't understand what you're saying about the complicated financial mechanisms here. Yeah. When I had Tara Luna on, or I, I had know. Nicola, the guy from Nicola, Trevor Milton, I was like, explain to me why this is cheaper, or why are you pursuing this, uh, you know, two an electric car versus right. a- truck um, makes all the money. Yeah, it just nothing made sense. Like, wait, wait, you're, you're doing trucks by the mile, and you're doing, yep. what's the technology that everybody gave up on? Um, hydrogen trucks. You're right. doing hydrogen trucks, but that for, that you're charging by the mile for, and then you're also doing the Badger, and the Badger you're doing- why? Why would you do a consumer truck and go up against Ford and Cybertruck and all these other things? And he said, oh, that's so we can get the Robin Hood traders. You know, we need to get that crowd in. And by right. the way, that clip was in the court case and exactly. he was found guilty. So once again, the Greeks asking the right questions. We created democracy. We created send you science, straight to jail. math, plumbing. <laughs> this is the best show ever. This is the best show ever. It is already, this has already been such good TV and now we get to talk about TV. It is time because it's oh. still Thursday to bring Lon Harris back on the, the show. The show goes on. The, yeah. show, the show goes, goes on. on. I'm, I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Lon, what did, what did you think? about him like it's like it's Frost Nixon. He, he, this guy doesn't have a leg to stand on, though. I think that is worth pointing out. It's a, this, he's not like clever. There's no guy, Nixon. Sam. Oh yeah, yeah no. Sam, Sam, bank run fraud. I, 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 I don't, I, I don't feel like he's a worthy <laughs> adversary. George Stephanopoulos, a 
four or five decades in journalism. Of course he's going to take this this kid apart with nothing. He's got no argument. Of course he, what he did was wrong. We all know it. Yeah, this I guy's mean, like, anybody uh, should have been able to take him apart, but... Right. Like, I'm a so Jedi. Like, are you crazy? Like, yeah. what are you doing here? Like, Stephanopoulos just took the lightsaber out, and he was like, yeah, th- it's, zip, it's zip, exactly zip. why lawyers <laughs> like, three are like, limbs go flying. Yeah, it's exactly why your lawyer is like, don't go on Please Good Morning don't do America. It. Don't do it. Don't <laughs> like, do it. Let us, let us do the talk. <laughs> well, right about now, actually, by the way, um, uh, breaking news also, uh, <laughs> I know you guys are not watching the Twitter, but Elizabeth Holmes' lawyers are now suing because... She didn't get an Andrew Ross Sorkin interview. Uh, that would have taken a couple of years off exactly. her sentence had, yeah. had she done the interview with Sorkin. Would have. <laughs> it would have. She could have cried up there, shown the belly. Uh, all, all right, right let's talk. Up. Let's talk about TV. We got a good I'm story. Sorry, I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to pull us back. No, no, it's it's all good TV. I mean, is this going to be a great part of the uh, Elizabeth Holmes, Andrew Newman? universe oh god i can't oh, wait for sure it's already i mean the, yeah. that that is already because apple owns the rights to the michael lewis book yes but amazon is already working on their own separate mm. show about it so already we have two competing projects and we'll, we'll see which one gets i think i know what first. to do with our our uh, little orphaned project with the crypto queen i think we need right. to just go full legion of dorks and the legion <laughs> of dorks is a series of He's got the pen. He's like, okay, boss, I got this one. <laughs> I'm totally like, Legion oh, of Darks. <laughs> Elizabeth Holmes, Sam uh, Bankrun Fraud, Adam Newman, and yeah. then who else can be in the Legion well, we, of we, Dorks? This would this would been what like I kind of threw this idea at you that yeah. it's rather than it's it's a it's an anthology. Every season yeah. is a different story yeah. about some over the top scheme involving fraud. crypto. So you could yeah. do, or for or for all, I mean, however you yeah, want to do it. Yeah, whatever the fraud think, is, yeah. I think, I think crypto is a fun angle, but I think, uh, you know, frauds or, or fraudulent startups or, or questionable business practices is fine, either way. But yeah, and I think each of these stories is a season, and then you just or keep going. Or can you do them all in one season and somehow, well, you know, you could, fiction this? But mm-hmm. it is like a shared universe. So you could, yes. everybody you're introducing in season one, like those characters, those actors can still play those characters yeah. when they pop back up. And yeah. tech, it's not that big of a world. You would yep. definitely get recognizable, fa- like whoever Some you cast as your Zuckerberg is your I just Zuckerberg. Want that, I just want girl. to make sure that Razzle Dazzle girl is in an episode. Remember? Yeah. AirPods, AirPods, where are my AirPods? Remember <laughs> when that was like a fun character in crypto and she's like long gone, but she's all Razzle Dazzle. Like yeah, that, uh, that's, but that's Razzle what Khan. I mean. Like, there's so many characters she from this world. It feels a shame to zero in on one of these episode. incidents. Yeah. All right, well, let's talk about Agreed. just great, great cinema that's occurring. Uh, this Disney de-aging, to me, is a really interesting story. Maybe you could cue it up, and then we'll get some hot takes from Lon. Yeah. Let's do it. Okay, so Disney has come up with a movie quality AI tool to solve the, uh, oh, I wish I didn't have to use this pun, age-old problem of (laughs) when you need your actors to look either older or younger. The de-aging process has been slowly introduced into movies and Disney movies and others, and it's like, it's not great, right? It introduces really an uncanny valley problem, as Jason put it earlier, because you have these, the, the CGI is really distracting. As soon as an actor talks, you see like their face might look okay. But when they start talking, you're like, whoo, that's not them. And also it takes weeks. It's super hard to do as a factor of mm-hmm. editing and it's really, really expensive. So Disney 
has decided to solve this problem with technology and has created this AI tool. In fact, here we can give some examples of how it has not worked. Uh, here's yeah, Carrie Fisher, de-aged in Rogue One from 2016. Close. And it's, and then there's Mark Hamill, uh, de-aged. They yeah, also de-aged. It's like it's close. And then Mark Hamill, they de-aged in The Mandalorian. And that's 2016 and 2020. Did that get yeah. better, Lon? Do those, because I think Luke Skywalker looked better. Skywalker but I had a good. problem with Carrie Fisher. They, they, it's definitely, it, it improves a bit over time. I think the, the biggest issue that they have still is that you could do this to someone's face, but if the physical actor is still there, it, 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 our, our, our eyes, even if our brains aren't fast enough to be able to tell why what we're seeing looks wrong, our eyes are very good at that and can tell. Mm. So the, the, the classic, there are two great examples of this that I like all the time. Uh, Black Widow, there's a scene where Samuel Jackson, they de-aged his face and it looks great. You'd really never know. But every time he has to run down a hallway, it's a 75-year-old man with the face of a 30-year-old man. And your <laughs> eyes can just tell. The huh? other one is De Niro in The Irishman, where the ah. face work is pretty good. There are yeah. some shots where it doesn't look great. There are some shots where it looks good. But there's a scene where he's got to kick a guy on the ground. Mm. And it's old man Robert De Niro kicking a guy. He can't kick a guy like he used to kick a guy when he was in his 20s. <laughs> he used to he be awesome kicks, at that. He now kicks a man with a 75-year-old's force, you know? And like, uh, and, and so I think until we, mm. either it's a, it's a total revolution in digital animation and we really start nailing a lot of this stuff to the point where we can fool your eye, I think it's always going to be a little bit in the middle somewhere. You, but your position, if I remember from previous this week in streamings, uh, has been, hey, give the part to a younger oh, yeah. person let, and I, recast it. I'll tell you a little story, uh, very quickly. In the 1990s, <laughs> I used to do uh, junkets. I used to do film journalism for the Daily Bruin, and I interviewed James Cameron when Titanic came out. And James Cameron said, and this was like 1990, or, you know, 1997, mid-97. Uh, James Cameron's big thing was, one day in the future, computer <laughs> technology will get so good, you could cast one actor in a movie, and you could set different scenes in every year of that actor's life, and you would only have to cast that one actor. We can animate how they're going to look in every other era, so that's one actor giving one consistent performance. <laughs> he used Mel Gibson at the time as an example, because in the 90s, that was not objectionable. Uh, and even at that time, when it was mm. a purely hypothetical pie in the sky, it will look perfect. I was already a little cynical. Like, why not just get an actor? I like actor. I don't, I don't see, mm. we've, we've had this, uh, you know, like plays have had actors playing characters at different ages for hundreds of years, thousands of years, and it's never been an issue. Soap it operas really would bother just, me. soap operas would just drop in a whole new person, not even say yeah, a word. Well, just be I like, Marlena's a different accent. Not Marlena. Yeah, she I, lasted forever. But. And I mean, I, the Rogue One example I always use is they put, you know, animated cartoon Peter Cushing in there to be Grand Moff Tarkin. I would right. just cast Charles Dance, Tywin Lannister from Game of Thrones. Mm. He'd be a perfect Grand Moff Tarkin. Just perfect, make him yeah. the new Grand Moff Tarkin. I, I, you know, I take the other side of it when it comes to Star Wars. I love this de-aging technology. I love Hayden Christensen coming back in Obi-Wan and them having that battle scene where they're training at the Jedi Temple in the Clone War Wars era. That one worked for me. Luke Skywalker being peak Luke Skywalker worked for me. I don't want another actor. However, if they were to do a full-on series and it wasn't just a cameo, I would go with what you're saying, Lon. 
for a full show. I think Sebastian Stan recast. is somebody they talk about. The guy who plays yeah. Bucky Barnes in uh, in mm-hmm. the MCU, Winter sure. Soldier. Yeah. That yeah. guy looks exactly like young Mark For Hamill. more than a Let cameo, I take your position, Lon. For under a minute, Molly, I'm going with this. I like yeah. this technology. I can see good it. Enough I like It's good enough for me. I think that's I mean, a, I I think that's a good the, split. I also don't love the AI part of this because that it's really a workaround so they don't have to pay animators. And it's just like, just pay Andy or Disney. You can afford to pay animators. Interesting. If you wanna, yes. You I mean, this is a hundred percent about yeah. cost saving. Yeah. This is like a oh, computer will do yeah. it instead of humans clicking buttons and have, you know, that we have to pay to take breaks and go to lunch. And uh, I mean, you know, I don't mean to be really dark here, but I'm, I mean like animations over that is not going to be a profession that exists for very much longer like i mean I i'm don't, sorry like computers are coming i yeah but the, all this ai stuff it's it's built on a foundation of real art these computers aren't doing art for the very like first it. time ever i saw this the other day i don't remember who tweeted it somebody tweeted like they 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 entered into an ai how do i make an omelet and the ai like produced you know thought up and produced results and they were like this doesn't come this wasn't a google search they the computer figured out and it's like, well, sure, but the computer it's didn't invent the omelet. It learned how humans already make omelets, and then it rephrased it in its own language. So that's why that's all AI that's art why is. I, it's taking art exactly. humans drew and then reformatting it. It's not creating That's why it. Ray Kurzweil makes it very clear in the book about the singularity that the machines will keep us around as pets and for the occasional uh, spark of inspiration. Like, we're still going to be okay. <laughs> this has come up. Generative AI, which is the broader term for AI building content based on the corpus of existing content. We've had this discussion, uh, Molly and I, but I, I don't think with you here, Alon, is I, I've wondered like, hey, well, what? who's the source data and how are they being compensated? Because if you took right. every performance that Mark Hamill did as Luke Skywalker, and then you start making Luke Skywalker content, which by the way, if um, you know, uh, James Cameron said this 20 years ago, 20 years from now, it'll be perfect, right? Uh, or beyond perfect, it'll be indistinguishable in 10 or 20 years. You could then make Luke Skywalker series with Mark Hamill forever and never need to pay Mark Hamill, I think. But these lawsuits are going to be um, pretty serious. And the first one, ha- the first major one has landed. It's tangential to this one. But there's a lawsuit now that Microsoft and GitHub and OpenAI, which made a coding tool, that uh, basically helps people code faster. You start writing code, it tells you what to write next kind of situation. Um, the people who uh, mm. wrote the open source software that trained the AI are now suing and saying, hey, it, it, no good. Your AI can't be trained on our content. So yeah. this is going to be major I lawsuits. It, it's fascinating too. We talk about this like it's a cutting edge, like this is a today problem, but this is actually a thing that goes back to pretty much the early era of computer generated movie effects. Like the famous story is they wanted Jet Li to be in the Matrix sequels. And he said no, because mm-hmm. he would need to pose for computer modeling while doing his martial arts moves. And he's like, those are my moves. I spent my entire life learning how to do Kung Fu. I'm not going to give you my Kung Fu. And then you put it in a computer and you can digitally recreate me doing my signature moves forever. I own that. That's me. That's that's my art. And mm-hmm. uh, that's why Jet Li's not in the, the Matrix films. That's fascinating. Oh. He was so like, go, and that not... goes back 20 years already. That's, you know, wow. he was having that concern, you know, when Matrix Revolutions came out. The thing that I think is the big takeaway here, Molly, uh, for me, is uh, history 
rhyming. If you remember, <clears throat> George Lucas created Industrial Light and Magic because nobody could make the technology he needed to do storytelling, so he made it mm -hmm. himself. Now, George Lucas, as rich as he was from the merchandising rights he kept in the Star Wars era uh, and, and how much of a tentpole and that's sort of the whole tentpole craze for movies, he made so much money, but even he could not sustain the costs of running ILM because he didn't need to use it. He didn't have 20 series a years or right. 20 movies and series a years to use this in. However, and so then that's uh, famously how it spun out and became Pixar, right? Eventually. Um, it's fascinating too, that there's a streaming tie in this week. The Willow TV series just yes. debuted on Disney plus from Lucasfilm. That was the, the film that was the industrial yes. light and magic film that they, the yeah. first non star Wars thing that they worked on and became just like a movie effects house. So here's the chart um, of, from 2006 to 2022 of just the increasing number of de-aging occurring in films and TV shows. Yeah, uh, sure. And I guess in 2022, there were 12. What's really happening here is the franchise system has become so profitable that uh, they're looking for pockets to tell stories. We, we've discussed this many times here with Andor, Obi-Wan, filling in the timelines, finding sure. great little pockets of stories to tell. But in order to do that, you're moving up and down time when you're moving up and down time, whether it's Sam Jackson in Marvel movies or Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen in Star Wars films, you're going to need this technology more and more. Second, it's obvious there's one group that has the franchise, uh, the majority of franchises who needs this most. And third, nobody's making this technology. So for Disney, unlike George Lucas originally, they don't need other customers. They could spend a hundred million on this, which would be 400 highly paid developers. They could have 400 developers at Disney spending 100 million on this a year. No problem, because they would divide that 100 million into what looks like maybe two dozen uses cases a year, and, and it easily pays for itself, right? Um, yeah. And opens I mean, up more opportunities. That's the mm -hmm. other thing to remember about the like, media and the film industry more generally is if you are on the cutting edge creating these kinds of innovations, you can then, yeah, license them, sell them, market them. And that's part of how you're making your money back. Just this week, Disney bought uh, this streaming technology, BAM Tech, from Major League Baseball. Major League the Baseball. 15% they didn't own. There was right. the 15% Major League Baseball had invented this in the early aughts before yeah. YouTube to stream baseball games, but now they just made 900 million selling their remaining stake mm -hmm. to Disney because Disney uses it to power Hulu and Disney Plus. Uh, James Cameron, this is the same thing with Avatar, like part of the money that Cameron made off of Avatar was not just the money the movie made, but all of the... 3D IMAX equipment that he had to invent while he was making it to make the movie happen. And they did it again. That's the other story about Avatar 2. People are looking at how much money it needs to make at the box office to make a profit. He invented a ton of underwater camera rigs and ways to light and shoot underwater footage that have never been used before. And so mm. we're going to get movies over the next 10, 15 years paying James Cameron and Lightstorm, his company, to use his tech. So that's part that's of the story. Fascinating. Too. Right now, Disney is saying that they have no plans to release. They're calling this technology Fran. They're saying they have no uh, plans currently That's to release it the to the general network yeah, of the neural network. Exactly. That does the de-aging. They're saying, uh, you know, this is going to be our technology moat, for example, around our franchises for the yeah. foreseeable future. But there's no doubt that it could they could license it. There's there's a difference between release it and then charge people tons of money to use it. I, I am a little, I mean, I will admit, despite the 
the dark realism part of me that's just like the computers are coming and that's it. I, uh, it is a little sad to me that we're going to develop technology to just keep sort of recycling the same faces over and over and over. And like our, our, our entire future of art is just going to be franchises. Like that's a bummer yeah. and not a world I want to live in. So like if they want to spend all their money developing this technology moat so they can make the same version, some version of the same stuff forever, mm. then I will be excited to see the like independent films that hopefully spring up to fill in the gaps between the, you know, franchise universe and the universe of art. There is some news on that in a second, but um, I just want to show the last, the Obi-Wan series, which we all loved. Um, man, I wish they had the budget of Andor for that series, but uh, both series are very satisfying to me. They did. Obi-Wan <laughs> didn't have the budget of Andor. I think so. Andor was not that expensive. But like they, oh. Andor, they did, they were able to do so much because so much of it was just like it, it, the same four or five interiors, had a big uh. cast. I mean, it wasn't a cheap show. But I bet uh, Kenobi and, and Andor were similar budget-wise. Maybe it was all the money went to the stars in Obi-Wan and not to the sets. Yeah, but anyway, that, right. You definitely had to pay Ewan McGregor more than you had problem. to pay Diego Luna, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, yeah. What, yeah, the guy from Andor is getting paid like 50 bucks. Uh, I mean, you got a pony up for Fiona Shaw and Stellan Skarsgård and Forrest Whitaker, no, but, not, but not that much. Not, not yeah. as much as you're paying Ewan Come on. Yeah. Uh, look at this clip, though. This is the Obi-Wan clip. My lord, this is great. Because they just de-aged 20 years. And I, I thought they nailed it on this one. Yeah, I couldn't I think tell. This looks good. And I think, uh, you know, part of it too is you're not taking old guys and trying to make them look like young guys. Mm -hmm. Hayden Christensen, you know, he's, he's older than he was when he was yeah, Anakin. 50 to 30, not 70 to 30. Exactly. I think right. it's, a, it's, a, it's a smoother transition, I think, mm -hmm. in some ways. When and, and, you know, he could still be there and physically embody the character. But I don't know. To me, I, I, I feel like... This stuff, this technology is is so much better for something like Planet of the Apes, when you could put Andy mm. Serkis in the Planet of the Apes movie and he could give a oh, real incredible. performance as an ape. And you could see he's got a chip face. There's no way you could do that with an actor. To me, that's the best ideal scenario mm. for this. Making the person look like themselves, but 20 years younger, it's like, yeah, makeup. And if you can't do it with makeup cast a new guy there was that halloween movie the second halloween movie mm. halloween kills uh they had donald pleasance who's long deceased r.i.p donald pleasance they had you know he has he plays sam loomis dr loomis in the halloween films and they had a scene with him and i assume they used this technology but it was actually just a guy in a really good mask and like do that huh don't sell the technology disney i'm a disney shareholder do not sell it <laughs> but except Warner Brothers DC do one little licensing deal with them so that we can eventually get the crossover film. I remember my childhood, they would every now and then do a, uh, you know, uh, Superman versus uh, what they do on the Marvel side. They did oh, like yeah. Superman you would and get, you would get like Superman and the X-Men or Spider-Man or somebody Superman versus Spider-Man, I think was the big yeah. one. And then they yeah. also did like the Justice League versus Avengers and what ju Justice just League versus DC Avengers. DC and Marvel, smaller companies, you could they could cross the aisle sometimes. You could get the right. super friends to come hang out with the, you know, the Hulk Avengers. Versus Superman is the yeah. What are the chances of that? Lon, what bet. are the chances that DC oh, I, and Marvel eventually do a crossover? Zero or I'm, 10%? No, I'm firmly in the never say never. Like at, at some point, we're going to get to where both, if they remain separate companies forever, which no guarantees, but yeah. like Disney just outright buying Warner Brothers at this point wouldn't be that shocking. But yeah. if that doesn't happen, 
I, I still think at some point you're going to be like, we've done multiverse, we've done every time you can recast all these characters, the X-Men are here, the Fantastic Four are here. There's no way to, like, goose the audience. The, the biggest thing we could do that would get the most, the biggest response would be, yeah, Superman's got to show up and hang out with Tony Stark for an afternoon. And, like, once it gets to that level of fevered pitch where here. people just <laughs> want it, it'll happen. They're, they'd be fools not to do it. Should we go into this last? Uh, it looks like um, Warner Brothers Television. Um, oh, this is, is, yeah, this is a small, this was just a, a, the head of, of WBTV uh, is at a, a different conference, a London conference, Contact London, I believe. Uh, and she said they're talking to Amazon right now about sending mm. animated DC Comics shows and films to Prime Video instead of HBO Max. So it would be mm. the first of these kinds of deals that Zaslav sort of teased, which is maybe not all Warner Brothers content is only going to live on HBO Max. Maybe they'll make a little bit of revenue mm. by licensing some of it out to some of these right. other platforms. Because adults do want to watch animation. All right, well, should we wrap on some TV recommendations? Yes. Uh, did I, you I watch Willow? One oh, yeah. Wait, I, I didn't yeah, watch I, I've watched Willow. I'm 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 caught up. Before we go to TV recommendations, I just wanted to tee up if you saw the uh, I'm going to go off docket here for a minute. Oh. Uh, ben Affleck and yes, uh, Matt the, Damon the, have started their own company. They say they can equity, save yeah. artists equity. They raised mm -hmm. 100 million from some private equity person and they say they can make films cost 15% less and they're going to reestablish ownership in films by right. the actors. Kind of reminds yeah, me of remember, United like, Artists. United Art exactly. It's it's the modern version of the old United Artists plan where actors okay. are going to make their own studio and they're going to refigure all the deals so that all creatives, including below the line, so cinematographers, editors, hmm. scripts, you know, camera teams, they're all going to get sort of a better cut of the proceeds from, from their projects. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Interesting. This was yeah, also, yeah, by the great. way, from the Dealbook conference. It Full was, circle. yeah. He mm -hmm. Affleck also threw a little bit of water on on Netflix uh, that that made some headlines where he was saying like he just he's like one team can't make fifty good films a year. He's just like it's not possible. There's not enough people. There's not enough resources. You need to movies are hard. You got to focus. And so he was just like, I, best of luck to him. I think they're talented people. They make good stuff, but you can't churn out that a level of content and ensure a, a consistent level of quality. He called them an Creative. assembly line. Yeah, yeah and creative endeavors need to have true. different little teams working with different perspectives, right? It's better if it's fragmented than consolidated. Yeah, and I think I, I hey. think that's a that's a pretty solid point. He's certainly someone who's had a sort of a clear behind the scenes view of how all of these things work. Director, actor, now he runs a studio. Well, and he's done like blockbuster to indie. He really actually yeah. has spanned kind of all aspects of this, and so. Shout if out he's Affleck. putting together a production company, shout out Ben Affleck. My brother calls him Ben Hoofleck. I don't really know why, yeah. but it cracks me up oh, no, always. And I'm always a, like, that's, that's from a movie. Ben it's a Hoofleck. thing, right? Oh, it's no, from it's, a comedy it's Matt, movie. That's Chris Kattan from Saturday Night Live. He's, right. uh, he's like ha hitting on Matt Damon. And, and he's like, and he's yeah. like, no, no, I got to go see my friend Ben Affleck. Ben Hoofleck? I believe that. The whole family calls him that. <laughs> and every time I see his name, I can't, it's like, I never even read it right anymore. Ben Matt Hoofleck? Damon? Yeah. Because that was the whole bit. It's <laughs> just he right. says these funny inflections. Yeah. I, you know, I've always <laughs> oh thought there is another model here, which is the consumers really want to participate in uh, the making of films. It's uh, aspirational, I think. Oh, sure. And this is what something I've been thinking about for the syndicate.com is like, I wonder if there's a documentary film 
that could be made for a million bucks. And I could just email a bunch of rich people and say, hey, do we want to invest in this? But there needs to be some model whereby we could have actual ownership in it. So imagine if a documentary filmmaker could make a film for a million dollars, then you do a million dollars of uh, marketing and you just release it online and you just do VOD. Uh, and then you let people buy it pay per view, and then you license it, you know, yeah. time window to places, but you have some central group that owns 100% of the IP and doesn't give it to Hulu, Netflix or Apple TV for all time. It's only available mm -hmm. in, you know, two year licensing sprints or whatever. But the folks I mean, these who companies make them still exist. Them. They're just they're just small. I mean, it's it's hard consistently with films, yeah. you know, like, like a, a, a film can come out and make a lot of money and make a big splash. But it's hard, like just like Ben Affleck was saying, it's hard to guarantee every time that that level of consistency you make for 10. every, right, for every one or two that hits it big, you might make a few mm -hmm. that you thought were great, and then they just don't for whatever reason. All right, all right. Well, recommendations, quick. What are you watching? Uh, so you I, 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 I mean, if you are a fan of Willow, if you are a fan of the film Willow, I feel like okay, sure you will probably like this show. But what I don't, if you I liked it when you were like nine, but you can't totally remember what Willow. it was about? I now a TV Willow series? holds up pretty well. It's Does about it? okay. it, it, Warwick Davis uh, stars. He's a, uh, he's sort of like a, a villager and he gets sucked into this quest to save this magical baby from an evil queen. It's very much like a epic fantasy kind of riff, but done with the whole family in mind with a lot of sort of whimsy and humor as opposed to more like it's not as it's not as severe and self-serious and lore heavy as something like Lord of the Rings. It's easier to just kind of jump into, but you'd still get a lot of the set dressing. All right. And the movie's okay. very charming because Val Kilmer, it's one of his classic performances. I loved the movie, but I was a kid. Right, it's like, I'm like, well, how much did I like it? But I'll probably. Oh, right. okay, so this okay. is a 2022 follow up film or a remake? It's a sequel. It's a sequel series. It's so a sequel. Warwick Davis is back playing Willow, who's now old. And Joanne Wally, who, uh, who co-starred in the original film, she's also back as her character. And they were planning on bringing Val Kilmer back, but COVID and he's still got health issues. So it didn't work out. But Kevin Pollack also back in a, in a supporting role as one of the Brownies. Oh, he's our in the original Kevin. Willow. Yeah, our friend Kevin. Kevin yeah. Um, so yeah, and, and you know, they've got, he's got now a young crew of adventurers with them and they're on a new quest, but it's in the same recognizable world of the first Willow. Um, so he also played, uh, was he an Ewok? And he also yeah. played Leprechaun. He's had a number of like iconic characters. Oh, sure. Well, I mean, he did that show Life's Too Short recently with uh, Ricky Gervais. Uh -huh. That was like where Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant were, or Ricky Gervais was like his manager. You remember oh, that? Oh, really? It was, it was, yeah, a BBC show that was uh, very funny. He's also, uh, he's Professor Flitwick in the Harry Potter films, the the, the chor chorus director, the, the music professor at Hogwarts. Uh, but yeah, he he's the leprechaun, and he was Wicket, the, the main Ewok, and, and he's also in the, the mm. Star Wars prequels they put him, he's like got cameos in those, because he was in the, the first Yeah, I was about to say, I, I, I kind of remember that. Um, what is the proper term for a person of short stature he's a, today? He's a, he's, a little, he's a little person, he's a small person. I think person. Still saying I think little person. usually say. Little person is the... We yeah, don't, the, the M word is the one you're looking to avoid. Got it, okay. Right. I, I just want to make sure I'm uh, accurate here. It, it, I think it's awesome that uh you know they're recognizing these performances and you know giving people opportunity like that i think it's like really cool 
it's very cool that yeah, Warwick, Warwick Davis has sort of developed this whole career, and and a guy mm-hmm. who was very much like a character actor and popping up in these yes. you know supporting roles and a lot of stuff in the eighties, nineties, but has now become among nerds and movie fans a recognizable name in his own right. Like he's a selling point on. Willow. And somehow mm-hmm. he was also. It seems like Star Wars is getting him cameos in each one because not only is in the Force Awakens, but he's also in Rogue One. Yeah, he pops up all the time. He just like he'll you know it, it'll be like in a bar or when they need a guy like in ah. in uh in what the in Force Awakens he's at the pod race he's in the crowd watching the pod race so they just cut oh, to him and he's like yeah Aww, you know they just love him he's just there so all the time like, I'm really worried about yeah like, that's well, kind of dope you know he was there in the original ones you know I love that uh, people do that kind of. I'm I'm here for fan service. I think it's kind of cool. Um, yeah, so but that, I, I'm actually I, interested in seeing it. what else you got for us. Willow, uh, is- the, Willow, Willow. I I enjoyed. I would say check it out. There's one that I I very highly recommend that is now on VOD that I think everybody kind of missed when it was in theaters. It is a documentary profile of David Bowie called Moon Age Daydream. By My favorite song. Brett, by a guy named Brett Morgan, who did he did a really great documentary profile of Kurt Cobain called Montage of Heck a few years ago. So this is sort of similar where it's not it's not really taking you through like the life and career. It's not doing behind the music. So like and then he really, then he moved to Berlin and released this album. It's just footage of Bowie and concert footage and clips from interviews and like and all kind of a collage just sort of put together. So by the end, you get this sort of sweeping view of the whole career but it's not like watching a regular documentary. It's more like watching a concert film, a David Bowie movie. Uh, it, uh, tremendous. I thought it was really great. If you haven't seen it, The Man Who Fell to Earth, 1976. Yes. Really Nicholas interesting Rowe. David Bowie science fiction film. I, I haven't seen it in movie, years, yeah. but I did enjoy that where he plays The Man Who Fell to Earth. He's like an alien who go who comes to Earth and he's got a mission, but he just gets like Earth is so distracting. And so he, he ends up because he can... You know, he could sell space technology to make yeah. money. So he becomes like a very wealthy man. And then mm. he just gets into drinking and drugs and he starts dating and he just becomes human and gets attracted. By the end, it's like, oh, wait, I was here to like, we need water. Like he almost like mm. forgets why he originally came. It's, it's in the huh. So in the film August, a 2008 American drama by Austin Chick, um, which I have a cameo in, if you haven't ah. seen so uh, two of my uh, film cameos, uh, one, August 2008, the other one, Center of the World, me Center and Peter Sarsgaard. Yeah. Uh, August, uh, myself. Play a round ball in that one. And Josh Hartnett, uh, who should have played Superman at some point, but he turned it down, I believe, me and Josh Hartnett. Funny story from the set, Molly. I'm in makeup with Josh Hartnett. Mm-hmm. And uh, my stunningly beautiful wife, who's stunning. Uh, stunning. Who's stunning? Comes into the trailer. And uh, I'm I'm getting my makeup done on the other side of the trailer. I look over, and he is chatting up my wife. Something really? awful. Something awful. And I look over. I go, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and he looks at me. He goes, I don't know. I'm just talking to her. I don't know. It's okay, Jake. Uh, but shout out to my guy Josh Hart and Austin Hart Chick for putting is. me in that film. A uh, great, great director, Austin Chick. Yeah. Uh, so my my two little, maybe maybe Love at it. some point. My crack production team will clip my two moments uh, from oh, yeah, the film Center camera, of the yeah. World. Show notes. Where I, play <laughs> show notes. I tell Peter Sarsgaard I can replace him as CTO. Uh, great, great Fun. clip when I'm playing basketball. <laughs> it's a little ad-libbed. You know, me yeah, and- I don't think the basketball clip is... Uh, 
I don't know that we could show that. Me and Wayne Wang. Uh, yeah, but I do say some choice words there. You're a little explicit. It's, yeah, a little explicit. It's a, it's a, it was an, an NC-17 film. film. Uh, I'm not NC-17 in it. I, no, it was unrated, I think. Yes, but, yeah, I believe Wayne they Wang. released it unrated, yeah. Unrated, uh, center of the world. But anyway, he was also, you know, by the way, he was in Basquiat as well, right? David Bowie um, was in. No, David Bowie. Was in, David Bowie. Oh, Bowie. Yes. Also, yeah, we keep leave, we keep leaving out Labyrinth, which Labyrinth, is come on night, the most Lawrence. iconic yeah. role. Yeah. There, yeah he, was in a, was he was in a bunch. Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, I believe, is the other one. But they never made a Bowie yeah. film about his life, right? There's no mm-hmm. Bowie. Documentary. Well, Todd Haynes did that one Velvet Gold Mine. That's not. It's it. He changed all the names, so it's not oh. explicitly like this is about Iggy Pop and David Bowie. But it is a. It it is basically about all those guys. So mm. there have been that kind of stuff. But no, I don't think anybody's ever made like a straight up. Who would you get? How do you do? Who do you get to play David? You got to do a David so. Bowie one. The problem is, it's the same problem as the Freddie Mercury one. Yeah, which the estate, is not. if you're going to do a film like this, you need permission t- for the music or else it's hard to do the film. Like, what's right. the point of doing the David Bowie film right. if you can't have a- If you can't sing, yeah, he's got to do can't Life have a on song Mars from the film. Point, right, yeah. Same thing happened with uh, Sasha Baron Cohen was going to play Freddie Mercury. And they were like, yeah, the estate was like, maybe less gay sex and drug use. And Sasha Baron Cohen was like, no, I yeah. want to play it like really- you could, the real you could Freddie tell Mercury. The movie, you could tell the movie was a little compromised. There's a scene in it where Freddie Mercury's having this like wild party and all the other members of Queen are like, we got to go home to our wives. This is crazy. We can't be around all these drugs. <laughs> and gay like, people. Like, that's because that's what you get when Brian May produces the Queen movie. <laughs> wow. Like, the, yeah, the Brian May the movie, movie is like, I don't approve of this. I'm going home. This is happening. Somebody should make those films, Molly. With the without. Sinead O'Connor documentary, weirdly. Like- I okay. My son and I have been listening to like morning radio on the way to school, mm-hmm. and I heard on morning radio, which is totally geared toward Gen Xers, that there's a Sinead O'Connor documentary called "Nothing Ooh. Compares." Yeah, I've watched it. It's on Showtime. It's really good. But I the thought. Prince Estate would not let them right. use the song, and of course, I mean that can't play like, yes, the song. He wrote Nothing it, compares to you, but they yeah. can't play the song "Nothing Compares to You," which is like the the song. I mean, that was an iconic remake that is really like her big hit. Yeah, you could tell, and in the, the prince in the estate movie, was like no, because I have guess to they talk had to fight around it a lot. You know, yeah. they could show they could show like footage from the the music video, but can't play the audio. You know, I guess she had been a little dismissive, or I mean, you know, because she's tore up the prince or the pope picture, like she's a provocateur, and apparently had provoked the prince estate, and so they were like, you can't use that song anyway. Just yeah. an, another example of like how hard these music documentaries can be. For various yeah. reasons, because right, it's, right, it's going to get worse with all the yeah. PE firms. Yeah, her ripping up the Pope picture on Saturday Night Live. Yeah, uh, she was exactly right. Shortly yeah. after that film, iconic moment, the movie uh, is really about this, about how oh, like really? today, oh, really? Yeah, the movie is about like yeah. th- th- this ruined her career and sort of, and it, it really shows how both sides of the aisle at the time piled on. Like even liberals and Democrats were like. No, you shouldn't attack the Pope. I'm offended. Just you know, so like everybody. Crazy. Yeah. She got sort of railroaded out of the industry. And then they're looking at like today, she was trying to draw attention to this situation that we're all very concerned about today that everybody was ignoring. And, and it does look at like, well, you know, like she was actually just very ahead of her time. Yeah. 
she pointed out the child sex scandals that Spotlight eventually uh, featured in their film, uh, the Boston Globe's investigative unit getting, I believe, a Pulitzer mm-hmm. uh, yeah. for. She should have gotten that Pulitzer. I mean, in a way, you know, that's the thing. You know, she was so ahead of her time pointing out the hypocrisy of the church and what they were doing. And she was Irish. And uh, I, you know, I I used to run into Sinead O'Connor at a um, uh, a little cafe, a tea house on St. Mark's Place in New York in the 90s called uh, Sinead. Not Sinead, but it was a place called Sinead. It was maybe 15 seats. And one time where they're having tea and it would be open all night. And the house singer who would sing there four nights a week uh, was uh, this really amazing um, folk singer with the sweetest voice you ever heard uh, named Jeff Buckley. And so we would hear Jeff Buckley playing and he would do cover songs. He had some of his originals, but he did a lot of cover songs. And he did a cover song uh, by Leonard Cohen. Uh, that became quite famous. Yep. And uh, Sinead O'Connor would be there sometimes, uh, working in the kitchen, hanging out with the owner. And I kid you not, Sinead O'Connor brought scones and tea to our table while we're watching Jeff Buckley. And if you do a search for Jeff Buckley Sinead, live at Sinead, you will find the Columbia Records release. And let's see if my producers are moving fast here. Of uh, his five song, what do they used to call those EPs, EPs or something when they yeah. would do four songns? Mm-hmm. EP would be a, live at Shanae, S I N dash E, I believe is how they would spell it. And if my producers are hopefully moving quickly here, they'll find the live at Shanae CD, which I have a copy of, um, or I did, it's somewhere in storage. Uh, but live at Shanae, um, he used to play, and there he is in this, like, what was a five or six seat. Uh, thing and if you want to talk about big 90s this is why i always tell you gen x is the greatest generation and new york in the 90s was cool af can you imagine Sinead o'connor bringing your tea that's just insane while jeff buckley she would have already been recording late 80s early 90s yeah, yeah, she, she was on like, so 88 to 93 yeah yeah, yeah exactly. so late 80s i mean like this is 88 mm-hmm. 89 stuff because by the early 90s she was already you know, becoming Sinead o'connor yeah. There is the Jeff Buckley live at Shanae. I don't right. know what year that came out, but that is the, and that's Shanae. That is the actual cafe. It's actually, you can see it there. Yeah. Of how small this place was. And man, that is so cool. This was, of course, a- Letter Cohen's Hallelujah before it became, before Shrek made it a global phenomenon. <laughs> <laughs> and you see this there. This is the version of, it's so of crazy. Hallelujah from Shrek. <laughs> this is literally my youth. Oh, if you yeah. look at the, if you zoom in on that picture, um, and you see Jeff Buckley there. You see on the right the kitchen, this tiny little kitchen on the right with the little pastry counter. We would go there because it was super cheap. And you see those tables and how close you would be to Jeff Buckley. Um, and That's you can go find 90s, this place. It's such a 90s design touch, too, to have the coffee ring on the title. You know, yes, like that, that really, early 90s coffee so shop friends. aesthetic is so yes. like it, it, immediately, you know, when this was produced, like the no yes. other era. Incredible. Mojo Pin, yeah, that was one of the songs. Uh, Jeff I'm going to watch that documentary died. this weekend. I, I have officially oh, really, I made really this recommendation, it. the Sinead yeah. documentary. Yeah. I, if you are interested in, you know, sort of 90s music and also just how much the media has changed and also not changed. I mean, it's fascinating. There was like that Britney Spears documentary that New York Times did for Hulu last year that was sort mm-hmm. of similar where it's just, just to go back and see how the media was talking about it back then compared to today is just fascinating to like look at it side by side 
Yeah. Amazing. We've come full circle all the way back <laughs> to Dealbook, all the way go. back to the media. Such good Choosing memories. its own agenda for all of us. Lon, right, thanks. Lon, thank you so much, Lon. What oh, a great show. Great job, producers on the show today. Very tight. Very tight mm -hmm. show. Uh, you can follow Lon, twitter.com slash Lon's. And here's what I want you to do. Just at Lon's. I like uh, maple scones. Mm. Uh, I enjoy uh, wearing Danner boots. And I enjoy steak frites. Just boots so steak frites. I don't know, boot pants. Danner leather boots and a maple scone. Fancy. Fancy leather Lon boots. would say, well, here's a movie recommendation or it's TV hard. recommendation. I'm trying. People have been contacting me and I do my He's best. He's like, yeah, stop. Give him like three random things. Now, if you give him a movie, that's easy. But yeah. I suggest a song, Movies, a, TV a location, Product New York, time. Jeff Buckley. Give me a movie, you know. It's Shrek. Like, yeah, there you go. Or uh, amazing. State, Shrek maybe. is like Shrek is the demolition man of the of our of the new generation. I always think I say and have been saying for years that Demolition Man is actually the most like predictive prescient mm. tech movie that's ever been made. Full stop. Mm. Like if you watch Demolition Man today, you'll be like, oh my god, Ooh, they, they saw it all. Nailed they it. it all they coming, saw it yeah. all coming. And yeah. Shrek, that. weirdly, is that exact cultural touch point. We should rip off that, uh, wa what is the watch party that Bill Simmons does? He does like some, oh, rewatchables. Yeah. He does the rewatchables. Yeah. That would be fun for us to do a sci-fi film and just like pull out our best moments from it and do like a little round table. All right, listen, get out of here, Lon. Okay, yeah, we got to go. go. We got to get go. the hell out of here. We got Bye. to go. All right, Molly, great job on the show. Uh, great show. This is Thursday. Tomorrow is Friday. Then there's a Sunday. And there's a Sunday. We got it's all Sunday. happening. Uh, people it's all happening. So we'll get through this. The pace does not slow. Does not slow. It's not slow. Happy we'll December, everyone. Oh God, is it December? Bust open your Costco wine advent calendars. It's time. What? What did you? What? Wait, Costco. What? Do, do you not know about the Costco wine advent calendar? It is a half bottle of wine for every day of December. I urge you, don't do what I did the first time my sister-in-law got me this, like two or three years ago and attempt to drink the half bottle of wine every night. Because actually, this thing can last you the whole year. But it is now an annual tradition. The Costco wine advent calendar. This thing is the best. Wait a second. It's Get 30 it started. bottles. 24 bottles. California mm -hmm. only. It's a wine adventure. It's a wine adventure. And it's labeled. So you can, so you can if, you, if there are more than one person in your household, for example, you could just, have, you know, because it's a, it's a mm. half bottle. So it's two and a half glasses. So if you're the person who has wine with dinner every night or whatever, then you have your little advent calendar. But it's so, so cute. It ends with champagne and it's a, it's like from all over the world. There'll be like Portuguese ones and huh. oh no, it's a thing. It's hey, delightful. I think uh, yeah, okay. I got to go pick mine up for my sister-in-law tonight. I, you know, now I understand why that stunning blonde from that viral clip was stunning. so impressed with the wine, with the Costco card, that guy uh, that hunky guy was macking on her. I don't know if you remember that. Yes. It's because of deals like this at Costco. I freaking I, Costco is amazing. I went to a Costco once in 1990, maybe when it opened in Brooklyn. I have not been to a Costco since. Is there a, co there are Costco's in the Bay area? I, I yeah, assume. Yeah, honey, there are. How does it work? You drive your car there. I don't even know what to do with the sentence. You, like you drive your Costco car there work? and stuff, and then you show them your card and then you go in and it's a magical wonderland of things that you need. And you go up and down every aisle and then you get little snackities and you mm. buy the best steaks you will get outside of your mm. like super fancy. I mean, Costco really? steaks Great. are amazing. The wine is incredible. The Kirkland branded wine is incredible. Huh? 
All right. The Kirkland well, now, brand now tequila. Now I know what to get Chamath. I'm going to bring Chamath as a goof. The oh Kirkland God. brand wine. Do I'm going to buy a case of that wine. It'll be hilarious. I'll just take it and die. Oh my God. One time. Please do it. Chamath, sorry. One time <laughs> I was at Sax's place. One time he went to it. They gave Chum Chamath a glass of wine and he looked at the bottle and it was so like subpar. <laughs> he was a little bit drunk. I think he literally took the last two ounces of the wine. He said, this is terrible. And he poured it out on the marble floor of Sax's house. And he what? just dumped it out. He was like, I'm insulted by this. He just dumped it on the floor the last ounce. <laughs> it was the funniest shtick ever. I don't even I know how to feel about that. Except it was but We're shtick, taping it was all shtick, in tomorrow. Shtick. So yeah. Get him we'll a Kirkland goes. bottle of wine. I beg you. Oh, and then just I'm decant send, it. Yeah. Decant it and give him a glass and just see what happens. See what happens. All right. We'll see everybody next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.